1: Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock, the weekend edition, where we have conversations or we replay the conversations that ESPN won't have, that Fox Sports won't have, that no other network corporate media outlet will have. Uh, we started off the week, as we do every Monday, with some fun talking about the NFL. I'm big on Derrick Henry as the MVP. Jason Brown, last chance of you. He's big on Geno Smith as the MVP. Debated the whole thing with Steve Kim and Jason Brown. Take a listen. Uh, Steve, I've already seen your it factor, and I'm really irritated and pissed. I I don't understand uh, how you could score this low in it factor. I give him a 23 in it factor. I mean, when when I sit down to watch a football game, that's what I want to see. I want to see a great running back dominate a game. I want to see something I don't see from everybody else. How can you? Anyway, you gave him a 10 yeah, in it factor. And Who would you rather a... pay to see in the NFL?
2: At running back? It's an interesting question. At any position. Oh, At any position. Josh Allen, this year's MVP. Josh Allen to me is, but look, the issue with Derrick Henry is that he plays in a relatively small market. He has not had a great postseason run. When I think of running backs with the it factor, um, it, I think of Emmett Smith. Because if you look at Emmett Smith in the playoffs, he was incredible. And that to me is the it factor. Till Derrick Henry makes that playoff run. No, no, no. And I
1: I love Emmitt Smith. The it factor is Barry Sanders. The it factor is the guy that can go for 2,000 yards, and Derrick Henry went for 2,027 yards. Derrick Henry is, Derrick, Steve. Steve. When Derrick Henry rag the defender, Grabs him by the front of his helmet and face mask and shoves him to the ground and you start texting your friend. Did you see that? Did you see what Derrick Henry just did? He just made that grown man look like a little child, treat him like a ragdoll. That's the that's what football, that's the essence of football. A man imposing his will on He's another great. man.
2: But I'm gonna say this again: the Emmett Smith slander will not be tolerated here. The things he did in the playoffs in 92 93 like and 95 not enough not enough because when emmett smith had the ability to change a season I, I am so sick and tired of people saying oh it's the offensive line look in 1993 when he held out uh, ask jimmy johnson what that offense looked like with Derek Lassock at running back well again hey listen Henry- if we're talking
1: about value i get it if we were talking about value Emmett Smith's valuable Maybe the most valuable running back of all time. Who, who knows? Okay. But it factor? In Look, ter- I'm Derrick, when we want to a- turn on highlights? Uh, when we want to turn on highlights
2: is Barry Sanders and it's yeah. Derrick Henry. Okay, well, wait a minute. That's the how it many, factor. You talk about the it factor, because a lot of that has to do with the Q rating, right? Well, how many national endorsements does Derrick Henry have right now that you know of off the top of your head? I, Isn't that I don't Alaska? care. It, that, I blame that on the
1: corporations. If he said a bunch of woke stuff, he'd have those commercials. Steve,
2: <laughs>
1: this is the truth about and I, Emmett Smith, his value to the Cowboys and that great dynasty, not questioned at all. But, Steve, I would rather watch Derrick Henry workout routines than highlights of Emmett Smith running the what? football. What? Oh. I would rather watch... His yes, Instagram man. videos of him lifting all that weight, standing on those balance balls and catching footballs and catching weights and all, that is more exciting than Emmitt Smith's highlight tape. And I love Emmitt Smith, but Emmitt Smith did wow. not have an it factor. Oh. Derrick Henry does. Barry Sanders did. OJ Simpson did. Jim Brown had it. Gale Sayers had it. But not Emmitt Eric Dickerson had it, but Jay. not Emmitt. You Jay, can't you give are, this man a 10 in it factor. This you is ridiculous. St-
2: you, you must have loved Mike Mamula. The man
1: went 99 yards workout. at 6'3 and 250 pounds. He has a 99-yard
2: touchdown run. You must have loved uh, Mike Mamula's pre-draft 1994 workout shape. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. You're telling me Emmitt Smith, you're telling me his splash reel – does nothing for you. Oh, jeez, that is blasphemous. I and I'm I'm not even. Everyone says I'm a cowboy fan. No, I'm really not. I just. What's his to signature watch a run? Those-
1: what what what's his signature run? You can't even name it. What?
2: He's had about fifty. What his of them. signature run? You can't name it. I can name a signature drive. Second Super Bowl against uh, Buffalo in Atlanta. They're struggling, and Jimmy Johnson said, "Run the ball," and they ran the counter play seven out of eight times and he just lifted the Cowboys on his shoulders. I mean, this whole notion that Emmett Smith had 50-yard holes with no one, that's not true. There that's not what I'm el- arguing. Or how about this game? The 1993 regular season finale, home field advantage, and the bye is on the line. Emmett Smith breaks his shoulder, tears streaming down his face, not looking good for the Cowboys. And then Emmett Smith, Oh, when a hero comes along with the strength to carry on, as Mariah Carey said, lifted Dallas. One of the guttiest efforts I have ever seen. Had like 170 yards of rushing, he had nine catches, all of them mostly in overtime. Eddie Murray kicks the field goal, and that's probably the biggest win in cowboy history in the regular season that I can recall. This I look, Derrick Henry is great. But there's no need to not catch 22, Jay. You ought to be a. Sh- this is not a good start to your week. Not a good start. To- oh God, Steve. I can't I'm, I'm gonna make a
1: final point as a. Re- and, and, oh, you know don't. I'm gonna make a final point as it no. relates to, and and I've got him at uh, blazing hot. Steve's got him at a grease fire. Steve's <laughs> crazy and insane. <laughs> I, I I just I, I'm gonna start just naming NFL. Run, Marcus Allen, signature run, Super Bowl. Yeah. Super Bowl, reverses field against the Redskins, goes all the way for a touchdown. Earl Campbell, I he put his helmet in the chest of Isaiah Robertson oh, yeah. and bulldozed him. and kept. Uh,
2: okay, I got one. I'll in, give you a there's
1: about run. 20 oh. Barry Sanders runs. That yes. Walter Payne, any of him just jumping over the, the 30 defenders into the end zone,
2: this man doesn't have a signature yes, run Steve. oh my god all right i'll give you one monday night football tony dorsett no- against denver 99 yards didn't he 99 go 99 yards? yards yeah against minnesota monday night football they only had ten minnesota, guys on the field my bad. by the way okay jason i'll give you a signature uh run and i'll send it to you later they're playing monday night football in atlanta at the brand new georgia dome he takes a toss pitch He runs into, like, a pile of, like, 15 Falcons. It looks like, and all of a sudden, he bounces out. And it's one of the greatest runs ever. Another play, 1991 Monday Night Football against the great Redskins. He takes a swing pass. Five Redskins just bounce off him. And he spins away, and he takes it, like, 70. This whole notion that Emmitt Smith had boring runs, it's not true. This kills me to defend a Florida Gator to this regard. But Emmett Smith had 18,355 yards. You make it sound like he did four yards, four at, a yards at a time.
1: Four yards at a time. That is it was four complete, yards in a cloud is of dust completely and untrue he, he that was is great complete. he deserves all this his flowers you owe him you uh, owe him an
2: apology oh God
1: you all right let, let me here here's my list of the 10 greatest running backs of all time it's not really in order but it kind of is Jim Brown mm-hmm. uh, Barry Sanders hey scroll up mm-hmm. so I can read this Barry Sanders Walter Payton <laughs> O.J Simpson Emmett Smith Earl Campbell Eric Dickerson Adrian yep. Peterson Marshall Fault LaDainian Tomlinson those, to me, are the 10 greatest runs. And I apologize to Gail Sayers and a few other people that didn't make that list. Do you think Derrick Henry is going to crack that top 10?
2: I don't. I don't think he'll have the overall numbers. And here's the other thing. Derrick Henry. The man Henry- ran for 2,000 yards. What, 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 what does he got to do? All right. So it's Chris Johnson. In your all-time list is Jamal Lewis no, in your all-time no. list? Okay, well that that alone no. is not the prerequisite. Do I believe Derrick Henry will be a Hall of Famer? I think so, but I also that's think not the question. Okay, but do, okay, would I take any of these guys, uh, or would I take Derrick Henry over any of these guys? No, because certain guys were really much more versatile in terms of getting out into the pass game. Um, look, I'm a Derrick Henry fan, but we're talking about the elite of the elite. And those guys are so good. Uh, by the way, I would actually put Gail Sayers in my top 10. He was so electric. I know he did who, not who have you, a who long you, Who are you
1: pushing out? Who are you pushing out?
2: Adrian Peterson. I don't think he was a great pass receiver. Didn't really block. And Gail Sayers was also a great kick and punt returner. I'm a big Gale Sayers fan. <laughs> the stuff that he, didn't he did... not do it long enough, Steve. No, he he didn't. didn't do it he long didn't. enough. He didn't. But, I mean, we're talking about peak value. I mean, that guy played such a short time, but his peer said that is a Hall of Famer. I don't know. That's a good list. That's a. I actually think you nailed that one pretty good. You know, that's just my view of it. Another guy, again, the career was cut short, but a guy that I absolutely love because of his vision and balance, Terrell Davis. Unfortunately, the football gods would not let him stay healthy. So... It's a good list, but again, you're asking Derrick Henry to break into the elite of the elite of the elite. It, I think it's very difficult.
1: And you don't think he's going to make
2: it?
3: No. Uh,
1: Keeping keep my, my last point on this on Derrick Henry, we're in an era where they don't feature the running backs the way they used to, when, when most of the all-time greats played. It was a running back league back then. And so in this era where everything's bent towards the passer, we got this throwback who will still carry a team on his back, 4.8 yards per carry, 11 TDs every year, uh, got a trash quarterback or an average quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, puts his team on his back uh, year after year after year after year. I I, I just don't. and, And so he, he, he's got the other than Barry Sanders, he's probably got the greatest highlight tape of any whoa, running back my ever. God, whoa, what
2: really? How many guys better does he have Eric- to
1: rag doll? We'll be watching those rag doll plays for years.
2: Do you really think he has a better highlight reel than Eric Dickerson? Jay, really, really, there's no way. Eric Dickerson may have not been as thick. Eric Dickerson himself is 6'2 two half, 225. Nobody could run at his size that upright and still lower his pad level and make people miss, and outside of Daryl Green, outrun everybody. Eric. Now it's Eric Dickerson's slander. Wow.
1: I don't even know. I'm not slandering Eric Dickerson. I love Eric Dickerson. I, I I, I love Eric. He's in
2: my top ten. I want to apologize to Sealy, Texas, for what you just heard. Sealy, Texas, we love you. And (laughs) Eric Dickerson was my all-time. I almost threw out instead of my rice ball. I almost had a Jerry Curl earlier. That's how much I think. I want to apologize for what Jason Whitlock has said about the the galloping goggles, Eric Dickerson. You you are really starting to reach. I get it. Henry is great, but a better highlight reel. Then Eric Dickerson, I'm gonna YouTube you some stuff. Wow, I, I need Jason Brown. I, I, Can we get Jason Brown here? God, jeez. Yeah, we'll, we'll get wow. Jason Brown here in a minute. I do want people
1: in the chat, in the comments, uh, commenting on this particular issue. I, I can't wait to read here what our audience actually thinks. Who's on the right side of this argument? Steve's clearly undervaluing Derrick Henry, but oh. I'll let you guys in the chat <laughs> uh, decide. <laughs> Uh, uh, JB before I get to to my first question to you about uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, I'm wondering if you could settle the dispute between uh, myself and and Steve Kim about Derrick Henry I think he has a chance to be one of the 10 greatest running backs of all time I think he's the most valuable player in the NFL this year right now Uh, you have an opinion on either one of those
3: Yeah. um, First of all, I heard your conversation with him. Um, Coaching in the NFL is the worst I've ever seen it. And for you to start a rookie quarterback yesterday and allow that man to have 220 yards is outrageous. Outrageous. Why we didn't load the box and stop the run and make a rookie beat us with his arm is unbeknownst to me. We were in too high, twelve yards deep, and we d- refused to load the box. I don't understand it. You asked Derrick Henry to run for that many yards. Um, that's number one. So I would have loaded the box and made that young quarterback beat me. Derrick Henry would have not. So you're had blaming
1: that. Lovey Smith. You're blaming Lovey Smith.
3: A defensive bad strategy. A defensive-minded guy yeah. to be that bad blows my mind, number one. Number two, uh, no, he's not top 10, not even close. And number three, the MVP of the NFL right now is Geno Smith, contrary to your belief. He is out of his mind right now, and Pete Carroll's the coach of the year. And if you want anyone wants to argue with any of that, please let me know. So you're telling me Drew Locke as the starter, the, the Seahawks are where they are? Hell no. Geno Smith Jason. is out of his mind right now. He leads the NFL in seven categories. Like, without Geno Smith, the Seahawks are dead in the water, and no one's talking about Geno Smith in any conversations as of anything blows my mind. And you know it as well as I do. And Derrick Henry being the MVP on a team that has no quarterback, has no wide receivers, and has a defensive-minded head coach— cannot be the MVP in my opinion, and you know as well as I know, it goes to a quarterback, and what quarterback are they going to find to be the MVP this year is going to be the – I'm not
1: saying – I'm not talking about who's going to win. This isn't a prediction. It's a statement. That Derrick Henry is the most valuable player in the NFL right now. He beat up the Houston Texans all by himself. He's the only uh, only O.J. and Adrian Peterson, only two guys with more 200-yard games six in their careers. The guy's incredible. You can't look, man. I love what Geno Smith
3: is doing, but MVP J.B. Come on, stop it, man. I, I'm just telling you, he's out of his mind. Tell, tell, give me a runaway MVP this year, like. Why isn't Geno in the conversation? Derrick Henry. At least least why is Geno not in that conversation? How do you define MVP? You define MVP on how they are and what they do with their team, right? It has to be a guy that can carry their team. So Tennessee started off slow. Derrick Henry has carried their team the last three or four weeks, right? Five weeks, five straight wins. What has Geno been doing? (laughs) He's out of his mind. Like, really, he's out of his mind. I was not a Geno Smith guy, and there was no way I thought Geno Smith can do what he's doing. He is throwing darts. He's 73% completion, number one. I mean, like, this is a guy that's throwing the ball, like, out of his mind right now. Look at these plays. Like, this isn't – this is big-time stuff for a team that was predicted to be last place in their division. They just beat the 6-1 and Giants. They beat the Chargers. Like, I don't think you – you can scheme Derrick Henry later on, Jason. You can't scheme a guy that throws the ball on time from the pocket. And Geno Smith's going to be a problem if Seattle's all bought into Pete Carroll's system like they seem to be. Uh, There's going to be a little issue here. And if Metcalfs can stay healthy with Lockett, Geno Smith, man, look at this. Like, this is against a good team. And I would argue that the MVP before yesterday was – Saquon Barkley, for what he's done with the Giants and led that team, he's, the, he's been the MVP until t- yesterday, in my opinion. Uh, I do agree with you. I think Derrick Henry is on track to be the MVP because he's Derrick Henry. No one will ever select Geno Smith to be the MVP because he's Geno Smith. But I'm just telling you, Geno Smith's playing out of his mind right now.
1: All right. You know what this week was really about, though? It was about Kyrie Irving. Started on Tuesday when somehow it just got blown up. Oh, my God, he retweeted Hebrews to Negroes, this documentary. And oh, my, he's put everyone at risk. He's harmed everyone. No one has a word to say about Amazon, though. Not a word about Amazon, the platform hosting the documentary that's clearly an existential threat to all of America. Uh, I go into it on Tuesday. Uh, Hebrews to Negroes some documentary three and a half hour documentary that basically airs the uh, Hebrew is black Israelite narrative on Judaism and all that I tried to watch the documentary I got about 75 minutes in the documentary is straight garbage it's uninteresting, it's not compelling, it's some dude just kind of reading some stuff. There's nobody other th- that could make it more than 15 minutes unless they were trying to punish themselves. The documentary is harmless because it's uninteresting and uncompelling and put together in a way that only a tiny hit, ha- the guy, whoever put it together and his family and friends are probably the only people that could watch it start to finish. But let's say it was compelling and let's say it. Was, and again, because I only made it 75 minutes. in, I couldn't figure out where the anti-Semitism started. I'll take Rolling Stone and everybody else has written about it and read the book. Or I'll take their word for it. But damn it, you got to explain to me why Kyrie Irving is on the front lines if this documentary is this anti-Semitic. Why is Kyrie Irving on the front line and not Jeff Bezos and Amazon? Kyrie Irving's not gonna make a dime off of this documentary. Kyrie Irving didn't put the documentary together. He didn't put it on Amazon. And so this whole outrage over Kyrie Irving seems completely dishonest to me because if this documentary, Is as negative and as harmful as they're arguing. Why wouldn't you take it up with Jeff Bezos and Amazon? That's who platformed it, that's who's profiting from it. But nobody has smoke for Jeff Bezos, a basketball player who retweeted a graphic image with no words. He retweeted a graphic image as far as I know. And he's taking the tweet down, but my memory of, he didn't put anywhere like, Oh my God, this is the greatest documentary ever. Oh, you gotta see, this is must see TV. He didn't do none of that. He retweeted the graphic image that was probably taken from Amazon and Jeff Bezos, corporation. But nobody has a problem with Jeff Bezos. Those people that ESPN put on TV last night, sitting courtside and interviewing them and demanding that Kyrie Irving be whipped and beaten and further punished. Are they at Amazon headquarters today? Do they have anything to say to Jeff Bezos, the man who's profiting from the documentary, who platformed the documentary? Miss me with the BS. If this documentary was as anti-Semitic and as dangerous as everybody's saying it is, people would be irate with Jeff Bezos, not a basketball player. This is hot garbage. At the root of all of this, I'm just telling you, there's a form of music called hip hop, gangster rap, whatever that is and again, if this documentary that is hot garbage and maybe a hundred people will watch, if it's dangerous and harmful and, ter- and such a threat to, to Jewish people, what we as black people, what should we say about hip hop music? Hip hop doesn't have a hundred viewers. It, it's, it's got a worldwide audience that sucks it up daily. This documentary won't be played at halftime of the Super Bowl, but Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg were. Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg were platformed in front of 100 million Americans and the entire world at halftime of the Super Bowl being celebrated for a style of music, and they made it, satanic and denigrates black people. but Kyrie's the bad guy and and Kyrie must be shut down and he must be silenced. Again, I serve a Jew. This here, what what we're seeing with Kyrie and this whole situation with Kanye West and all of it, and anybody that watches this show knows I'm very reluctant to play the race card. Anybody that follows me, but this screams like you better get back in your place. Kyrie, you are a Negro and you better know your place. Don't tweet out this stuff. Now we're not going to say a word to Jeff Bezos, but your black ass better not open up your Twitter feed again with any of this garbage. This is at the root of the problem. You can put out this music. You can be the record executives putting out this music. Nobody has anything to say to you. You get a free pass the same as Jeff Bezos. It seems like there's only one group that has to answer for this garbage. And trust me, I've been catching heat for 30 years for calling out the group of black artists that participate in this. I'm an equal opportunity caller of BS as it relates to hip hop music. My smoke ain't just for the executives, it's for everybody involved. I'm on record with it. You can go read all my columns over the last 25 years. It's filled with criticism of this industry and the satanic music they put out and the the denigration of black people that they put out and profit from. But we got smoke for Kyrie. Uh, On Wednesday, we come back because Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal and Reggie Miller and everybody's going after Kyrie. Uh, The NBA on TNT went after Kyrie. And so we went after the NBA on TNT, one of my favorite shows, Steve Kim's favorite shows. But uh, these guys uh, have sold out. Bill Maher, the agnostic comedian, wrote and starred in a documentary that painted Christianity and other forms of faith as a mashup of the words religion and ridiculous. Released in 2008, Religious spawned a tiny protest at a Canadian university and muted grumbling in the United States. Back then, in the infancy of social media, before Twitter turned performative outrage into the preferred method of seizing power, No one called for HBO or corporations to discipline Mar. 14 years ago, you could write and star in a documentary with the expressed intention to offend, mock, and challenge conventional wisdom without people demanding you lose your job. I'm a Christian. I watched Religious years ago because I've been a fan of the Jewish comedian for two decades. I find him funny, smart, sincere, and relatively honest in 2010, after Marr argued that religions, religious people were deluded, I wrote a column for the Kansas City Star that chastised him for, among other things, belittling the faith that inspired my mother, my grandmother, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, and the men who sacrificed their lives in the Civil War. Let's compare the way I responded to Marr to what's happening to Kyrie Irving, the NBA star, in the aftermath of a sentence-less tweet that listed a religious documentary, Hebrews to Negroes, that many Jews say is offensive. Handful of Nets season ticket holders sat courtside at Brooklyn's last home game wearing t-shirts that stated, fight anti-Semitism. The fans told an ESPN reporter that Nets should suspend Irving. Many pundits in corporate media have vilified and demonized Irving. Last night on TNT's NBA broadcast, Shaquille O'Neal called Irving an idiot. Charles Barkley said the NBA should suspend Irving for the tweet. Barkley insinuated the league should discipline Irving for tweeting out something about Alex Jones. Here's the full exchange. It's almost four minutes. Stick with me. Here's NBA TV last night. If, if
4: on your social media you say, boom, here's a link to this, that that tells me, hey, <clears throat> you should watch this. You Correct? Are. You're. I mean, he's got 17 million Instagram followers, another 5 million or so on Twitter. You're all over social media. Do you ever put something out there, Shaq, that the, – does not was, represent something that you feel? I was
5: probably one of the first guys on Twitter. And when I realized the power it had, I knew I had to be very responsible. Followers, platform, whatever you call it, I knew I had to be responsible. I I try to make people happy. I try to make people smile. My, my formula has always been the same. 60% to make you laugh, 30% to inspire you, and 10% whatever I'm selling, I'm selling. You have to be have to be aware of what you're doing and you have to be aware that sometimes when you put stuff out, not everybody's going to like it. Some some people are conscious, some people are not. I can tell he's not conscious, he doesn't really care what, what's going on. But us, I know that that you know the game that we used to love and we promote it brings people together and it hurts me sometimes when we have to sit up here to talk about stuff that divides the game. Now, now we got to answer for what this idiot has done. Uh, you know, I'm I stand for equality of all people. I've always been like that. Don't matter what religion, no matter where you're from. I could say shalom, salam Aleikum, ni hao, sabon, because that's how I was raised. So I don't, I don't really want to sit up here and answer questions for what he's done. You know, if you're looking at me, it's my job to make people happy. I, I, I can't speak for him and you know answer for, for you know what he's doing. It's, it's obviously by his answers and the way he answers, he doesn't really care.
6: Chuck, I think the NBA dropped the ball. In what way? Uh, I think he should have been suspended. Uh, I think Adam should have suspended him. First of all, Adam's Jewish. You can't take my $40 million and insult my religion. You are gonna insult me, you have the right, but I have the right to say, no, you're not gonna take my $40 million and insult my religion. I think the NBA, they made a mistake. We have suspended people and find people who have made homophobic slurs. Uh, and that that was the right thing to do. I think if you I- insult the, uh, the black community, you should be suspended or fined heavily. Depending, I saw they did the same thing to the kid in Minnesota this year when he made the gay slur. I think you should get suspended or fined. I think him acknowledging the Alex Jones things should have something should have happened with that too. Because that dude's crazy, and I I can't believe that. We ain't talking about bad. We're talking about this idiot. And when you say, when, when you, if, if I say, hey, I'm agreeing with this movie, this book or whatever, I'm agreeing with it. I, I'm not going to put, I, first of all, you know I don't do any social media. But when you're somebody as great as basketball like him, people going to listen to you what you say. It's, and then you, and there's some French people out there. But like I say, I, I blame the NBA. He should have been suspended, and their conversations are continuing with the Brooklyn
4: Nets it's with too late the NBA. Now. But they're also looking at look. They're looking no. at how do we move forward at this so we it's don't too go late now. this again. No, it's not too late to Ernie, say how do we prevent
6: Ernie, this. It's not too late. No, look, I see what uh, you're hold saying. On, I want to say this. the reason is too late. The NBA is giving in to peer pressure. When if some if one of our players do something, they have the right. The team. Or the, the, or the league has to do something immediately. Help me understand this.
1: He retweeted something. There's no sentence, he didn't make any statement. He retweeted something. It, this has sparked this much outrage. What, why? I, I, I tried to watch the documentary. It's a bad documentary. It's boring. It's impossible to follow. It's three hours and 30 minutes. I made it through the first 75 minutes only because I'm a glutton for punishment. The documentarian, Ronald Dalton, is a black Hebrew Israelite, a group of mostly black men who believe they are the true Jewish people. I don't buy their argument. I've had it explained to me two or three times over the past 10 years. I don't get it. Mostly I don't care. It's America. People are free to believe whatever they want. Bill Maher thinks I'm delusional because of my Christian faith. So what? I still like him. I'll still pray that he be saved and come into enlightenment. There's a long, never-ending history of Christians being persecuted across the globe. Bill Maher's documentary doesn't make me feel vulnerable. It makes me want to explain and testify. That's what I did in 2010 in my Kansas City Star column. The only thing interesting about Ronald Dalton's documentary is the insane overreaction to it. The overreaction makes me want to rewatch it and try to discern why a Kyrie tweet has this kind of importance. We want to suspend Kyrie over a tweet that doesn't contain one word he wrote? Really? This makes no sense. It cannot be the documentary. The doc is way too easy to ignore for this kind of outrage. My tinfoil hat tells me Kyrie is loathed by the globalists and their corporate media puppets because the system is doing everything in its power to prevent Irving from inspiring other athletes to think for themselves. The system prefers LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick, athletes who do exactly what their handlers tell them to do. Kyrie refused to take the jab. That's his real offense. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell bullied basketball and football players into taking the experimental medical trials that were advertised as vaccines. Pro athletes have every right to be outraged. The experimental medical trials were at best useless and at worst harmful. Irving refused to be bullied. Judging by his retweet of Alex Jones, Irving likely heeded Jones' warnings about the so-called vaccines. Alex Jones is a threat to the globalist propaganda machine. Kyrie is seeking information from outside the approved sources. He's being punished for that. I like Charles Barkley. I respect Charles. I consider him a friend and a well intentioned American. However, I'm highly suspicious of any broadcaster on any television network who earns more than three or four million a year whose first name isn't Tucker. Anyone making more than 10 million a year not named Tucker, has been led into the cult. Everybody else in corporate media is basically on the waiting list to join the cult. They all took the jab, and it's their job to punish any high-profile person who didn't take the jab. If Kyrie goes unpunished, the narrative gatekeepers worry that Kevin Durant, Patrick Mahomes or some other black athlete might start questioning the wisdom of his handlers. I've yet to see one gatekeeper argue that Amazon should be held responsible for selling Hebrews to Negroes. Amazon, not Kyrie, owns the platform, profiting from the documentary. Oh, it gets even better on Thursday. The Jason Unchained. I brought out my flag. I brought out my Bible. Solo show. 90 minutes of straight heat. Here's an excerpt. And so I'm going to start with an analogy to WrestleMania 25. Does anybody remember WrestleMania 25 is 2009? Uh, Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. Uh... They build it as heaven and hell. The Undertaker represented uh, hell. Shawn Michaels, a man of faith, represented heaven. And that's what we have right now. We're going through WrestleMania 25. This is a battle between two heavyweights, one a demonic force, Karl Marx, and one, a Christian, Thomas Jefferson. Now, again, I could use other names, Frederick Ingalls, backed and financed Karl Marx, uh, George Washington, I could have used him instead of Thomas Jefferson, he's our founding father. But to me, the intellectual battle that we have going on in America right now and across the globe, it's a WrestleMania battle heaven and hell. Karl Marx is hell. He's the undertaker trying to take us. German philosopher born in 1848, the the father of Marxism, the father of communism, the intellectual brains behind Marxism and communism. Frederick Engels paid for it. And then you have Thomas Jefferson One of our great founding fathers, the intellectual heft behind the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. He represents heaven. This is WrestleMania. And what, what has me concerned, if you know anything about the WWE, The Undertaker beat Shawn Michaels in 2009 in what many consider the greatest WrestleMania battle of all time. And then it, it was so great, they turned around and did it again the next year. And The Undertaker beat Shawn Michaels again. Again, obviously wrestling's fake, it's a script. I get it. But it speaks to the culture that we have created in America where in a battle of heaven and hell, the script writers of the WWE chose hell and The Undertaker over heaven and the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Think that through. The script, because again, everything right now is about a script that they want us to follow. And the leftists represent hell. And they're writing the script. And they want Karl Marx to Uh, suplex or uh, what was didn't Undertaker do some kind of moonplex uh, monoplex he did some kind of move that took out Shawn Michaels or whatever but they they, only wrestling thing I remember is suplex they want Karl Marx to suplex Thomas Jefferson and so we have this whole argument of that the left feels like they're winning Don't get fooled by what we think may happen in six days in the election. Right now, it feels like the left is winning. Their script is winning. They they are in control of the script and they get to determine our culture. And so it feels like Karl Marx and his anti-God philosophy is winning and is unseating a country that was founded in biblical beliefs, in a biblical worldview. And the left have, have convinced all of us believers, or many of us believers, and certainly the non-believers. Oh, no, America is supposed to be a separation of church and state. <laughs> and anyway, those guys weren't Christians. They had slaves. Give me a break. How could they be Christians? They had slaves. So anything that they did is defined by their ownership of slaves. If those people told you today was Thursday, you'd be able to say, no, it's not. You own slaves. We don't have, but flawed men, And that's all we've known in this world, in the history of this planet, are flawed men, other than one, Jesus Christ. Flawed men in America came up with founding documents inspired by God that built the greatest country in the world. And gave this country a chance to right its wrongs while perfecting its constitution, while perfecting itself you will never make me ashamed of the founding fathers. And I know that if I was born back then, they may have purchased me as a slave. But I'm sorry, I wasn't born back then. I recognize the power of the documents that they put together and how they liberated and freed me and I'm respectful and appreciative of those documents. And I'm smart enough to know, read enough to know, even though I'm an idiot, I've read enough to know that those documents were inspired by this Bible. That those documents were inspired by a higher power. That even though they were flawed, they were Christians. And so we'll hear people, uh, make the all. Oh, no, they weren't. Ben Franklin wasn't a Christian or this guy wasn't really a Christian. And, uh, they wanted a separation of church and state. They're perverting everything. To make you believe this nation wasn't founded under God, one nation under God, they're doing everything they can. Karl Marx right now is winning WrestleMania 25 or whatever number, WrestleMania three, I guess this is WW three. So just to enter into the record, I went in this morning, last night, digging up <clears throat> where the founding fathers were on Christianity. And, and again, I don't, every man I know, every woman I know is flawed and all the people sitting around convulsing about abortion and killing babies in the womb that think they're superior to these men who own slaves. I don't believe you're superior. And you can call me a seller, you can call me every name in the book, but murdering babies in the womb is worse than slavery. And you can kiss my rear end if you don't like it. But that's a fact. And so all these people on their high horse about how most superior they are to the founding fathers. And you're convulsing in the streets. Oh, I can't kill my baby. My body, my choice. Think you're better than them. Miss me. Miss me with that BS. So, I found some quotes here that represent the Founding Fathers' views on Christianity. This is from their mouths, from their pens. Thomas Jefferson will start there. God who gave us life gave us liberty, and can, and can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. I, I want to repeat that. Let me repeat that. And can be the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, that firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. That they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. That's Thomas Jefferson. I think that makes it crystal clear. The man believed in God, he's a Christian. Strike him off your list. Let's go to Ben Franklin. Oh, he, he wasn't really a Christian. and he, he was the least Christian of all the founding fathers. This is from out of the mouth of Ben Franklin. Here is my creed. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe that he governs it, governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshiped as to Jesus of Nazareth. My opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion as he left them to us is the best the world ever saw or is likely to see. That's Ben Franklin, Patrick Henry. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded, not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. I love this quote. Love it. It explains everything, particularly the ending for this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity and freedom of worship here. What that means is we're Christians, but you can believe in whatever God you want right here in America and you can prosper. And that has been what America has been about. Finally, we'll go to George Washington, father of our country. Uh, While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion, to the distinguished character of patriot. It should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. You see that George Washington, the ultimate Patriot, the general of our revolutionary army says, you know what the highest character isn't being a Patriot, isn't being a general, is not dying on the battlefield? Being a Christian tops all of that. This country was founded on biblical principles and a biblical worldview. The Marxists, Karl Marx, the secular people. All of them, it, it, all the people, Marxism, for, for those of you that haven't done the homework, don't understand, it's an anti-God system. Communism for, prohibits, pushes people away from religion. Karl Marx thinks that religion is the drug for deluded people. Those are his words. They're hostile to this religiously founded country. Thomas Jefferson's theory and system is being put on trial by a bunch of secular, godless idiots who want to tear down anything associated with him, and many of the people doing the tearing down are pretending like, and I talked about this yesterday, that, oh, I'm in the uh, lineage, I, I'm, I'm following the path blazed by Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass and JFK and, 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 Richard Allen and Abraham Lincoln. I'm challenging the establishment. Like them, they're pretending that they're grifting. Off these very religious people who made this country great and pretending like their fight for social justice. Is a fight for Jesus. And it's not. It's the bad substitute for Jesus. It's the bad substitute for religious faith. It's the bad substitute for religious faith that kills you. That infringes on our freedom of speech. And we ended the week on Kyrie Irving suspended for five games for a tweet Unbelievable. This time I bring in all the fearless soldiers from Delano to Steve Kim to Shamika Michelle to Royce White. Oh, what a week of Kyrie. Uh, I'm standing with Kyrie. No way he should be suspended. Here's our final thoughts on Friday.
2: But if you're going to be someone that wants to be taken seriously as any type of intellectual, you have to be willing to take a stand and his stand didn't last very long uh, but, uh, there's a part of me that feels bad for him, but at the same time, I think he had to have an understanding that what he tweeted, whether you agree or disagree with him was going to cause some sort of outrage, selective outrage, if you want to call it that. Um, and, and quite frankly, when the heat got hot, he got out of the kitchen.
1: Steve, th- I'm going to ask this question because it's related to how you and I connected. I'm not sure if he realized this was going to be a big deal. (laughs) And I say that because when I tweeted my stupid Jeremy Lin tweet, which was wrong, uh, I've admitted that and I stand by it was wrong, but I was not thinking it was going to be a big deal. I thought it was going to make people laugh. And so and, you know, I was older than Kyrie at that time. I was probably 37, 38. I can't remember, Uh, but but I'm not sure if he knew this was going to be a big deal. He, he, he tweeted out a graphic mm-hmm. of a movie, a documentary that's on Amazon. He didn't put it here. This is the greatest thing ever boy. this really puts the Jews on blast. None of that. He just tweeted out the image. I, I'm not sure if he thought this would be a big deal.
2: You know, there's a the difference. Though. I remember that joke and that was during the height of Lynn Sandy. And by the way, they made a documentary on it. That was just maddening to me. Maybe we'll talk about that some other time. But there's a difference though. You made a crack based on something that was happening on the court. It was kind of a phenomenon. And then you attempted humor. I actually did not find any offense in it. It is what it is. We don't I personally don't take those things to heart. The difference here is he piggybacked off of Kanye or or the Ye now. So Ye has now become the ultimate lightning rod in the whole world. He has gone beyond sports, he's beyond entertainment. Beyond pop culture, right now, Yay is probably—I don't want to say the most popular human being in the world. He's probably the most talked about. So when you piggyback off of that, and so when that message, whatever it is, dovetails, I—I'd like to think Kyrie's a little bit more intelligent than that. I'm—I'm I'm just telling you because think about it. If Yay doesn't make, it, and let's say the uh, the 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 actions of Mr. West did not happen. Let's just say the biggest controversy or story regarding him was that Rocky marriage with Kim Kardashian. Does he ever really put that link out? I think we'd be naive to think that he wouldn't or would.
1: I get your point, but I I get Kyrie's probably, you're right. it, It is probably related to Kanye. And he's like, there's a lot of conversation Going on about the relationship between black celebrities and and some of their Jewish business partners, and and it's probably a conversation Kyrie's been engaging in. Particularly, black Hebrew Israelite, he's probably engaging in it. But when you put that out with no comment, and and basically you're just saying this exists, and you know this exists, and I find it interesting. I, I just, I, I, I don't know if he thought he was courting danger. When he didn't take the vaccine, yep. he knows he's courting danger. Uh, this here, I, I, could, I could see in my mind, even with the Kanye stuff going on, this is not, I, I could almost see myself. If I had seen that documentary, thought it was interesting, and even though I may have disagreed with parts of it, I could see myself retweeting it and saying, you know, there's some BS in here, but there's also some interesting stuff. Now, I could in my 75 minutes, I couldn't find the interesting stuff, <laughs> but but I guess I could just see myself making that mistake.
2: Well, I, I guess there's a if lesson to all of us on social media. On your bio, make sure you put RTs are not an endorsement, because I've seen that on a lot of uh, personalities that have the blue check, but... Yeah it's, it's it's interesting. I am still maddened by the fact that the actual host of that documentary who's giving it a platform and and theoretically profiting off of it is not getting any heat. You want to talk about killing the messenger or the tweeter, but again, this is where we have like these very very unfortunate inconvenient ties. Amazon is a platform that many people use. And now I guess they're into the sports realm. We see the Thursday night package in the National Football League. They are certainly going to be bidding on other sports properties. So you cannot bite the hand that might pay you. But I have a question for all these people who are outraged by Kanye or, or, excuse me, by Kyrie Irving. I respect that you are allowed to feel that way. I'm not here to debate that. But if you are so outraged by what he did and his particular comments, that is certainly your right. I have a question though. Will you stop using Amazon in any form or fashion? Or is that just a part of your life that you skate? Again, they are the ones hosting it. They are the platform that is giving it uh, a place to live. And again, I'm gonna say this again, they are profiting from that production. Delano's
1: arguing today that the $40 million slaves now have million-dollar
4: overseers. Uh, Delano, I'm gonna let you elaborate. You you hit the nail on the head, Jason. I mean, I've been trying to understand what's been going on, sort of in the the social and cultural landscape, particularly around race and sports, for the better part of a year. And it it started with uh, COVID, and particularly Kyrie's refusal to take the jab. And and it, it was him. It was Aaron Rodgers. It was Cole Beasley. It was a few Andrew Wiggins. A few other athletes. But you start to see journalists chastising athletes for doing research, for taking a principal stance, for um, going against the establishment. And I was trying to understand what what is going on here. And when you fast forward to today and you see over the last couple of weeks pieces from uh, Mike Freeman at, at USA Today, Jesse Washington at ESPN, Um, Jamel Hill in the Atlantic, all saying the same things about Kyrie Irving, all using the same type of language, anti-Semitic tropes, dangerous misinformation, harmful ideas. Um, I started to, the the, the picture started to get clearer to me that these people, again if you take Rodin's framework and worldview, that the athletes are $40 million slaves, these people are million dollar overseers and their job is to keep the athletes in line with what Corporate America, what ESPN, what these entities want. And, and the argument that I'm making the piece is that given the way corporations and the leagues reacted after George Floyd died, Black Lives Matter on, on the courts, right? Um, you went from the NFL having only Colin Kaepernick Neil and a few other athletes to having only Jonathan Isaac stand. And you have corporations, again, pour millions into into BLM and quote unquote racial justice initiatives. And it, and it became clear to me the revolution has been corporatized. And these organizations, the professional sports leagues and the million dollar comp- billion dollar companies said basically made a devil's bargain with the players. The players didn't realize it was a devil's bargain, but they said, we'll fund whatever you want. Whatever Inspire Change initiatives with the dancing guys on the bridge and doing, you know, uh, prisoner reentry work and all that other stuff. We'll fund whatever you want, but we want something in return. And what what the players didn't realize they were giving up is their autonomy and their voice. And now they have to be obedient. So when Pfizer. Right. The the, basically the company that, that sponsors every major network and program says, these guys gotta take the jab, you gotta get them in line. That's exactly what Stephen A. Smith and Mike Wilbon and, and all the other personalities do. They chastise players for not wanting to inject substances into their body, instead of uh, speaking truth to power or speaking truth to error and asking, why is it that Eric Adams has the right and the authority to dictate the medical treatments that Kyrie Irving takes as, as it relates to his conditions of employment with the Brooklyn Nets? That would have been a revolutionary question. They can't ask that question. So they chastise him for the jab then and now for the documentary now. Again, Jason, to your point, revolutionary would have said, why are we Why are we chastising this player when one of the, the richest men in the world, Jeff Bezos, is showing the documentary on his platform? Why don't we ask Jeff Bezos why he's engaging in anti-Semitism? They can't ask that question. It's all of the... The euphemisms around tropes and narratives and so on and so forth. So yeah, the, these guys really have revealed themselves. This is like a Scooby-Doo moment. They 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 talk power to the people in one in one breath, but but really it, it's really, from their perspective, it's Kyrie's body, but it's their voice, um, and that's been made crystal clear this past week. The the other thing that
1: this whole situation should bring into focus and I I somewhat apologize for making this political connection because some people get uncomfortable or or just, oh, you're just shilling for one side, but conservative values don't want you dependent on the government, your neighbor, Mm. some benefactor. So they want you to be self-reliant and self-sufficient so you can always exercise your rights, Your inalienable rights, your God-given rights. Uh, Yesterday that fascinated me, it was right on point. Uh, We all went to go see last week, uh, the Emmett Till movie. And uh, Shamika took the Emmett Till movie and applied it to what's happening to Kyrie Irving. And I wanted to give her a chance to expound on that. Shamika, welcome back to the show. Uh, Charles Barkley and Shaq reminded you of the Emmett Till movie?
0: Yes, Jason. And first let me say that some people are so stupid, right? They thought that I was trying to compare Kyrie and Emmett as if it was the exact same thing. And I had to remind myself that when we were in school, we were a group by our abilities. And there are people, three L's that I call them, low level learners, and they are also on Twitter because that's it that's not what I was doing at all. My point was that there were men, Black men, with... Emmett Till when he was murdered. Also, if we remember, the uncle was there who allowed them to come into the house and he had a gun. So when people say, well, it says the three, uh, it, were, it was black men present, but it didn't say they participated. Well, if you think that they hopped on the back of a truck to be like, hey, we's just going along for the ride, boss. We just want to see the scenery, then that's on you. But the point is, there were grown men who did not stand up for this young man and protect him when they could have. So when I talked about Charles and Shaq, my point of them hopping on line or hopping on TV saying what they said was, Shaq could have been quiet. Uh, Charles Barkley could have been quiet. Stephen A. Smith, uh, Shay Shay with his little sassy name, he could have been quiet. Instead, what they did was they spoke up against Kyrie and And sent the message, just like Emmett's uncle, just like those men on the back of the truck, that they would not be of any resistance. They would not fight. They would not stand with Kyrie. They would not protect him. But they would just be quiet and allow the figurative lynching of him. That was the point. To me, if they would have never let the pe- the, the white men, the, Jew, the, the secular elites, whatever we're calling them this week, if they wouldn't have let them know we're on your side, we're not going to protect him, we're not going to stand with him, we're not going to give you any pushback, I feel like they may have done something different, but they gave them the go-ahead, like we're, we're not going to provide any resistance. And that's the problem that I have. I feel like they, they could have stood in front of Kyrie even just by being quiet. Instead, they wanted to see him ran through like a $5 hole, but their self-gratification and I don't like it.
7: This, this conversation about anti-Semitism has to do with the, the Jewish identity and Jewish people being exploited for a spiritual and political agenda. Okay. And, and the, the, the other day I spoke about the spiritual piece and that was the Jewish identity being used to delegitimize God on a historical basis and further severing between Abraham and, and God through the covenant. So that, that's the spiritual. But I'd be remiss not to go deep on the political today, seeing as we're five days ahead of one of the most important midterms in American history. So I want to touch on the political and in the political sense, the Jewish identity is continued, continued to be exploited to justify new world order. And, And that's not an opinion, right? That's not conjecture. That's not Royce White saying it. We can look at historical fact, historical record and understand this. The United Nations First Act, the post World War II liberal democratic orders first act was the installation of israel okay and 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 the installation of israel uh, was was met with great objection from the rabbinical authority and and i'll circle back to that later but but it's worth noting from the from the outset that when when israel was first Uh, instituted that the rabbinical authority, the religious authority in the Jewish culture and the Jewish community uh, around the world objected to Israel's installation, objected to Israel as a state. So uh, now I, I know we try to, how should I say this? I know we try to stay away from the BS race conversation, race and racism, because it's used sensationally here in the West often to distract us from the corruption of money and the corruption of policy. But there are a few places where racism still exists in a very explicit way in our world. And we can't have a full picture of the conversation we need to have without touching on this three places where racism exists in an explicit way from government or nation, China, Russia, Israel. All of them have extreme ethno-national cultures. China, ethno-national. Russia, ethno-national. Israel, ethno-national. And it's not by accident that when they talk about race or racism or ethno-nationalism here in the West, in the mainstream media, that it always stays in the context of the American white man. Right? Why is that? Well, Let's let's discuss this. <laughs> um, what you're seeing play out with with Adam and Kyrie uh, is. The NWO's version of racism and I'm and I'm not playing a race card. I don't want to get hung up on racism because the implications of New World Order are much more important to me and serious than the race piece. But I'm trying to show and paint a picture of how race is used even in this diverse agenda around the world on a political level. What Adam Silver is saying to Kyrie Irving, what Adam Silver and the establishment he represents is saying to Kyrie Irving or around this entire topic is don't try and destabilize our post-World War II liberal democratic order narrative. And Adam more specifically and the other anti-Jews are saying don't try and challenge and contest our place in the New World Order narrative as the white Jews. All right, go to
1: YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. If you're on Apple or Spotify, hit the likes, hit the subscribe button. Do that if you're on YouTube, hit the little like, subscribe, tell your friends. Go out and recruit for the fearless army. Uh, We'll see you on Monday.